Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Seahawk, it is our commitment to you that you have complete access to the top professionals, industry experts, and products for your fire service. We stand by the service and products we provide. We are proud of our past, and we are constantly listening to our customers and exploring new ways to bring better options to the fire service. This is Seahawk. High level, safety, service, security. Please visit our website at www.seahawkservice.ca or give us a call at 1-888-791-4210. All right, welcome to Season 3, Episode 18, Growing Up Fire. I'm back in the Chesmere Fire Hall talking to these beauties tonight about the deployments and uh, some wildland training and some of the stuff that we did. I got Wes in the house. He's back. He's a fan favorite. If you guys could only see him, he'd be your favorite guy. He's the beautiful one. We got Rob. He's new to the show. Rob. Not so beautiful. Exactly. <laughs> well, leave it alone, Rob. <laughs> Brent, my co-host for tonight, who's uh, getting, everyone's getting used to you being on the show now. Happy to be here. Yeah, you're even doing co-host stuff now, so that was good. He was reminding me that it's uh, pumpkin spice time. And so for all of you that absolutely hate pumpkin spice, I don't care. I love it. I get pumpkin spice ice caps. I get pumpkin spice lattes. I get pumpkin spice muffins. So take that to social media and we'll battle it out there. So thanks, Brent, for that. Jeremy, back again. You were here with your shift once before. I can't remember. Were you better than Wes? I think I'm always better than Wes. All right. And then Matt Ralph is here. I wish you could see this guy right now. He's working on our training center. So he's covered <laughs> in sawdust, big grin on his face, terrified I'm going to make fun of him, which is absolutely going to happen. Everyone knows that now. So <laughs> I appreciate that. No sense worrying about it. So Rob, we're going to jump back to you. So we've got the, they can listen back and hear Wes's story and Jeremy's story, but they haven't heard your story. So why did you get into firefighting? I got into firefighting mainly because of my, my dad got into it. And I think I've I've told everybody this kind of joke. The joke was, was when I was born, he got into volunteering so we could get into the house. I think I've told, told everybody that. So he's been doing it for 37 years now. Is that one of those jokes or it's like totally serious? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I was trouble since the day I was born. So I think I think there's a little bit of both. It's super weird. I think you'd want to spend all the time he could with you because I've met your parents a few times, even over in their own fire department. And, and you are a split down the middle combination of your mom and your dad, so. I remember you saying that when you got back. Oh. You're like, I know where both sides have come there, from. There's things you do now where I dead stop and I'm like, got that from his dad, got that from his mom. Yeah, turn it into one or the other. I don't know if it's good or bad. <laughs> it's good. It's all good. I love them. They're great. So that's cool. So he's in the fire department. You kind of grow up in the fire department. Is yeah. that fair to say? Yeah, I remember doing like uh, VX training and like sitting in the buckets of like excavators with my mom at like eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night, waiting for them to roll up and like excavating around us, pulling cars off us and stuff like that. So that's kind of where I kind of started. And then I took a little bit of a left hook into uh, university, decided I didn't want to do that and then came back and went to fire school. So I started yeah. Nothing like university to be the university to teach you you want to be a firefighter, that's for sure, right? Once yeah. the partying's done and the bad grades start rolling in, she's back to firefighting. Yeah. 
<laughs> I excelled in what I found that I loved. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah. didn't do well at university. So, <laughs> so. so. Didn't love that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. fair enough. Good stuff. All right, Matt, we're over to you. Okay. How'd you get into this gig? Uh, so I guess since I was a kid, I wanted to, just in the back of my mind, kind of had an interest in um, ambulance and being a medic and got into that. This way, this way, stop, stop. Did we say, how did you want to be a firefighter? It's yeah. getting there. He's this is where it starts. starts. This is where it starts. Talk about being a medic. medic so yeah. You asked where it starts. Oh, medic. Is there a sound effect you can okay. go? Yeah. So I got on as a medic <laughs> in Calgary and was working there. I was looking for something more. And I also have a construction background. So between that and being a medic, I was able to get my way on to Canada Task Force 2. And through that and the rescue training we do there and working with some of the firefighters, there's actually a firefighter at Airdrie that kind of inspired me to do that. Nice. We can uh, name so names here. I don't know if he wants to be named. His name oh. is Brad Larway. Wait, <laughs> yeah. we don't use both names. Really <laughs> <laughs> He's a captain in Erdry. Oh, nice. um, so that's good. And uh, he kind of inspired me to do it. So when did my 1001s and then um, first got on with Rocky View County and then got a full-time spot with Chestermere a short time later. Nice. And haven't looked go. back or regretted it. It's been a good decision. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think most people that become firefighters love it, right? It's uh, There's all those things that we all love about it. Easy, Brent. I know you want to turn, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, it's uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. We talk about it all the time on the podcast and in life, right? doesn't matter if we're sitting at the kitchen table or out in the bay. Not every call is the best call, but not every call is the worst call. So it makes life pretty easy for sure. And so kind of why this group is together is this spring we were doing some training. So we had Patrick in and Ryan and uh, Glenn Martin, and they were doing Slave Lakes SPU basic, kind of just the first half of that for us. And so in all honesty, kind of go around the room here. Did you really know what I was doing? Did, you, did this course really seem applicable to what was going on here at Chestmark? Honesty, no. Didn't yeah. really know what we are getting into on that one. We were all kind of speculating, but until it actually happened, yeah, I wasn't too sure what we were getting our hands on. Right. So then the day comes, though, and we're training. Rob, what did you think of, uh, who did you get, Patrick and Ryan or Patrick and Glenn? Pat and Glenn. Pat and Glenn. Yeah. Nice. That's yeah. Glenn with two N's, everybody. So. Yeah. I th well, actually, I got both because I was able to come in on the second day as well. Oh, so I got right. all okay. three. Man, you got everybody. Uh, oh, yeah. Oof. Yeah. Somebody made the mistake of giving me a drip torch, so that was fun too. Ah, the, the drip torch. Nice. <laughs> I always love it when you haven't used a drip torch before and everyone's kind of like, ah, you know what, I, I'm not really comfortable, I haven't used it before, and then we give it to you and 15 minutes later you're lighting your pants on fire and the grass on fire and your friend's on fire and it gets a little out of control. Brent, I think you're probably one that had heard me talk about it enough that you kind of knew what was coming, but did anything in that training surprise you? I, I definitely learned a bunch um, and it was good to do the training definitely and it was so close to doing it right before deployments to get thinking in that task force ICS model because right we use it but we don't you know until you break it out bigger we're too small to use a whole bunch of that but you hadn't let me stray yet on anything that you've done here so I just kind of go okay let's see what he's got going on here and <laughs> We'll He's probably there. nuts, but he might not be. So probably not, though. But yeah, no, I was on on board right away, and I've done because of my ten years I did with another service. I did a lot of wildland stuff, but this was definitely a different way of looking at it, and for us to deal with things. And as soon as we got into it right away, I was just like, we should have done this course a long time ago. Even for us, not even about deployments, but for here, like we all look at grass fires now completely different than what we did. You know, I, even the hour before we started that course, we all look at it differently now. 
Yeah, I love those guys. They've really developed something special there. And, and I don't, it's not even just the material, right? I think the material is the material, but uh, how they deliver it and how they talk and, you know, the stories and background that they have, I think is what, you know, for me, it's what drives me and remembers. I remember a million things that happened because of the way they talk and the way they do things. So, Jeremy, what did you think of that training? I didn't really know which direction you're going in, but um, I know you're big on training. So any training that kind of comes out of the blue, I'm not really surprised by just the way you way you like to do things. But um, wait, wait, wait. Are you saying that I this don't is a good always thing. plan this is a good everything thing. out? This is a good thing. <laughs> things um, surprise you sometimes? No. This is a good thing. Hundreds but, uh, of people are shaking their head yes right now. So. <laughs> There's a support group. I don't know. They don't tell me where it is, but you can get help. So. It's okay. I got the number. <laughs> yeah, I'll, we'll welcome you in with open arms. <laughs> But no, after uh, when the, the deployments did come up, I realized what you were doing there. But um, I was actually on shift that day, and we got a few calls there when the practical stuff was going on. So I, I got a little bit of hands-on stuff, but I missed some of the, the bigger items, and I never got to do a second day like Rob did. But I did learn a bunch in the time that I was on with uh, Patrick, so it was good. Matt, what do you think when we took that? I thought it was good. Um Tons of time running the pumps, setting up, taking down, running lines out. It was really good. Like some of the best training I've ever done. Just tons of hands-on, which is what most firefighters need. Yeah, so. for sure. And a lot of different ways of doing things that I hadn't really seen before. So Anyone that does that course, right, you're just doing pylon after pylon. Like this is, I hate this. This makes no sense. Why are we doing this? Then you go in deployment and you're like, man, I wish I would have done some more. Spray a couple more down. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like we just did the first half of the course, right? So it's like the slower part where you're kind of walking through, through in some grass burning up at the old water slide site. And when they come back in the spring, I think that uh, they'll bring a bunch more knowledge and a bunch more stuff that we kind of missed by not doing the second weekend right away there. But it was good. It's great. I, I love to see everyone's faces, right? I would say almost every firefighter that took that training, you could see a transition over the two days. Sort of that. I don't, I'm, I'm all in, but I don't know what we're doing here. Two, hey, just a minute. I see the path now, right? And I'm starting to walk down the path. Later on, you all got to go on deployment, which, I mean, no one could know that's going to happen. For me, it was pretty simple. I got down here. We didn't burn a lot of grass. You know, I was looking in the trucks. We didn't really have a lot of wildland gear. We didn't really have a lot of the stuff that you need for quick fires and structure protection and things like that. And yet there was still the need, right? Grass fires still burned down tons of houses. I think that uh, when you look at the Maui thing, you can see that about as clear as day that vegetation fires don't have to be massive spruce trees. It could be whatever's there if it's dry right and so just wanted to and i guess share some of the experiences that i've had with these other folks and this really good spu basic course with you guys and so we do it and then we like it's maybe a month after we're done maybe less you know alberta starts to burn and so um, i just did a podcast a few weeks ago myself talking about deployments and kind of my perspective but what was fun for me is the perspective of Chestermere getting to go. Cause I was basically already talking to Brent before I left. I said, Hey, there's, you know, some stuff going on. I'm going to go if there's opportunities. Right. I think uh, some of the talk we had right at the start was maybe deploying Chestermere resources up to help Slave Lake who was already in a bind or Big Lakes County, who's right next door to Slave Lake. But uh, sure enough, the call came and uh, it was actually for Edson. And so let's talk a little bit about what it's like to get ready for a deployment when you have no idea what it's like to get ready for a deployment. And we'll start with Brent because he had to call everyone. It's a lot of work. There's three groups of people when it comes to a deployment. Like there's 
the all these people that are going to go out and do a deployment. There's all the people that are going to backfill and work even harder at work because all these people have gone on deployment. And then you've got your families. Yeah, first is calling everybody and you've got all these people that go, yeah, I want to go. And yeah, we just did this training and this is perfect. So yeah, I'm in. Let me check with my wife or let me check, right? let me check with my husband. Let me. So it's about a million phone calls. And then it's because there was a bunch of things that we weren't ready for of, well, what do I take? Right. And then so Matt with his other stuff and looking at the SPU stuff is, okay, well, here's what you need. Right. And we need everyone here by this time. And, and we hadn't gone to one yet. So we weren't sure of exactly everything, but we wanted we wanted to help and we wanted to get there as quick as possible. So there, when I ended up going on a second deployment this year, I went, whoa, whoa, we're going to do this a little differently, but it what? was, you learned something. Yeah, we learned, we learned lots <laughs> and just getting a hold of everyone. Everyone is just so ready to help. That's kind of like, it's, it's heartwarming actually how ready everyone is to help in some way. And it didn't matter if it was guys that were on shift that wish that they could have went that were up until, when we left at like, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night or something to drive six hours, or if it was the guys coming in to get ready to go or the day sh- next day shift already doing things for us. It was, yeah, if it, it was a team, like it wasn't just the six guys that left on trucks. It was a huge team to get that going. And then even back here during that whole time up there, it was a big team to continue it going. Yeah. Struggling, getting the shifts filled. And so for anyone that doesn't know, Chesmer is a small team, right? There's 24 people on the floor and at that time, even less. So backfilling is a big piece of what we're doing. Right. And so we, we kept six people basically on the road. Plus I was gone all the time for a couple of weeks and then two people later on for another deployment. So that's big. Like when you take a court of your team out of the equation makes it rough for everyone else so i'm going to go to matt next and i'm going to go to you matt because you're probably the only guy i know that's busier than me and so i can't (laughs) even imagine like run us through a little bit of because you were bugging me before i left the station you're like if there's a deployment i want to (laughs) go and so what does it take in the life of matt to get ready to to be gone for seven days (laughs) it's a lot but you just gotta kind of accept that you just have to drop everything. And I'm, I'm lucky. I have a wife that's pretty supportive of it. Um, she's pretty patient with that kind of stuff. I've done it with task force before she kind of, I've done it with task force before and she understands the process and what it takes to do that. I do have a lot on my plate. I had some shifts. I had to drop at a, another department. I had some shifts. I had to drop with EMS. I had two jobs on the go for construction. So I was trying to manage those while I was away and it was definitely tough and stressful to do it, but it, it's an opportunity that you don't really want to, miss it could be a once in a lifetime thing or maybe it'll happen again next summer who knows but once you miss it you don't have a chance to do it again and at the end of the day it's only seven days so or 10 days or 15 days but it's not a huge chunk of time that you're really committing to so no and it's a it's that firefighting thing right you want to help so here's a chance like northern alberta is on fire and uh, our bosses say yeah go go help so here's your chance right so Wes, you got like 22 kids. What's it like at your house when it's time to go? And yeah, so same as Matt, right? The wife's super supportive with uh, any decision I kind of make within that. She kind of knows I'm going to go regardless. So she knew it was happening. So she's behind it, but she has the same worries. Until anything. I send her the link, Wes. Yeah, yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> um, yeah. Same thing though. Like so, I know that we were. Uh, I think our shift was on that day for getting everything organized and getting the backfilling and everything with that sorted. 
And I remember being one of the guys that's like, yeah, I definitely want to do this, uh, texting the wife. And she was somewhat supportive behind it, but she was, she knew she would and I would go. And I remember since I always had my phone with me, I missed a phone call for the deployment there. And uh, <laughs> what? <clears throat> Just wait. Hold on. You missed a phone call? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the phone call. And Brent's <laughs> laughing because he knows he was the one making the phone call. And then she found out how bad I really wanted to go because I was uh, pretty upset by missing that one. So I missed uh, the deployment on going to Edson there. But uh, it ended up working out going after the fact. But uh, you can tell I really wanted to go on that deployment and uh, made up for it. What after. did you learn there, Bus? What's the... What did you learn? Ah, Obviously nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Where's my phone? <laughs> Inside joke, but not really for yeah, hundreds of people really, that yeah. know <laughs> Jeremy, let's jump over to you since you're uh, so uh, talkative and always want to get on the mic here. What was it like for you? What You know, you're going to go on deployment, your first one ever. How's that feeling? I mean, when it, when it first came out, I think we were on shift, so we were trying to gather everybody up, and I was kind of in this room seeing who's kind of eligible to go at first. It came down to the, the fact that four guys were ahead of me, and they were taking a truck out too, and then I kind of got the call after that, and I actually went up with um, Strathmore, but three beauties from Strathmore I was with. But, yeah, I called my wife. I was like, this is happening. I have a, a one-year-old and a three-year-old at home, so they, I know how much work it is for her to take care of them for a week, but she was she was more than supportive. She's like, I know this is something you've always wanted to do. So she was like, yep, yeah, go make sure you send me lots of videos and pictures and stuff while you're up there. So nice. You bring up a good part of it in a, in a piece that uh, I think we're proud of around here, which was uh, Strathmore. We called them right away, right off the bat. They're about 20 clicks down the highway and um, good partner fire department for us and, and have a good solid mutual aid agreement and, and working relationship for training and things like that as well. So it was easy to call up their chief and say, hey, do you got some people? And we worked back and forth. And so although we ended up, we probably could have all sent our own resources on our own trucks, just how it worked out uh, day one, day two, day three, and kind of the second deployment as well. It We were able to take some of their people and they were able to take some of our people and kind of work together when we got there. So that was really nice. And that's something that when you're from these smaller fire departments, it's nice to reach out to, you know, they got 40 paid on call firefighters and six full-time people to pick from. We have 24 people and that's it. So it was nice to hook up with them. Rob, how was the deployment for you? There was a lot of different things. It was humbling and it was uh, kind of interesting how large Alberta is and how many different areas and, and like how the logistics of it all comes together on a family side it was it was neat to see like like i don't have a hockey team of kids like most of the people sitting around this table do but like, line anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it was very like like i remember calling my wife and i was like hey like i'm gonna go up and she's kind of used to it from the volunteer aspect of it with the pager she just knows when it when the pager goes off you go but on like a family side of it, it was neat to come back and talk to her and be like yeah like this person reached out like hey do you need anything any help right oh yeah yeah you know like yeah, my husband's up up doing his thing and it's very like if you need anything let me know right so that that was super cool on the family aspect of it and then just going up there was just it's really eye-opening how like we all i think as firefighters like to turn chaos into order and even from the day we started sitting around this table being like you know what he I means like hey they need people up in grand prairie or edson or wherever and it was very like okay what do we got to do you do this you do this you do this it's like it's kind of what we do but seeing it at such a grand scale was pretty neat you know not like a 
micro scale, but a, but a macro, I thought it was super cool. I always love how the pieces come together, right? Like for me, it was just like, you know, I, my old hometown, my old fire department, uh, where my son is a firefighter, they're having trouble. So I'm going to go and visit him for the weekend. If they need help, great. If they don't, I'll just come home on, yeah. on Monday. Um, obviously, as the day progressed, you could see that it was going to be calling all hands, right? I don't know if you guys remember your Alberta emergency alert that day, but basically went off like 60 times. And so it was, uh, you know, obvious to see that there was trouble coming. And so it was fun to... Uh, kind of get a few texts throughout the day, talk on the phone quite a few times with Brent and and uh, my own wife, right? Because she's busy trying to coordinate my grandson because his mom might have to go work with the RCMP and my son's busy, so now he can't go and pick him up. And so our family, chaos is just our, it's our middle name. There's no trouble. So everybody has their piece. Everybody does their piece and we just get to work. We had to cancel some courses and rebook an evaluation that we do on our consulting business. And, but it's all just, she just knows what to do and, and we go to work. And so for us, I take it for granted that it's all going to work out and everything's going to be fine. I got home that day. My bag was packed. She never missed a thing. Like, you know, it was uh champion, right? My electric toothbrush is in there. The charger's in there, right? Enough underwear for a hundred days or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just like she knows, right? And so it's so helpful for me. I always, it's good to hear these stories, how you're, you're supportive, but, uh, let's go around and I'll start with Wes. Is there anything that you didn't pack? that you would share with all the people listening if they go on deployment. And remember, this is coast to coast, right? We've had troubles in every province and every territory across Canada this year, and and people have had to leave in a moment's notice. I know what to pack. I know how to get through it. I know how to make it up on the other end if I forgot something. But did you forget to pack anything? No, this is going to sound soft at the end of it all. (laughs) Really, this one, though, like... If you say hand lotion, I'm out. No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like that. I know it's it's all coming. So the one thing, though, like, packed everything, like, you kind of talked to the guys before, everything to get a plan going, going camping lots and stuff. Actually, just a pillow at the end of the day. You, at the like the amount of times I shoved a bunch of other clothes into a t-shirt or into something like when you're like cause I had a sleeping bag so like we got put in a camp but they have nothing there so it was like a pillow would have probably been the only thing like something to soft in the, yeah in the last four years I have not gone on a trip and you know how much I travel without packing a pillow so I'm on board I get it right you get to the hotel and it's like oh we have nice big fluffy soft pillows they're like 14 inches tall my neck is cranked I carry my own pillow everywhere I go so I feel that how about you Rob was there anything that you you're really happy you packed or you're sad you missed that you couldn't buy on the road I think the probably the best thing I packed was um like moleskin for the back of my my boots soft. like for, for the back, <laughs> yeah, soft yeah, again yeah. soft <laughs> super soft yeah oh anyone that's been on deployment knows yeah. what you're talking about <laughs> I, I heard about some deployments and and like just like trench foot and stuff like that like lots of socks take care of your feet and I'm glad I packed I I still have like half a bag full of stuff because I was like I went to the grocery store I'm like moleskin whatever I could find big band-aids everything and uh I think yeah that saved my butt a couple times saved my butt and a couple other people because just yeah. you just hand it out like candy they don't have it yeah yeah I always throw a box of band-aids in and my wife's like what and I'm like don't worry They'll get always, used. there's so much right <laughs> she's like I'm gonna go with 40 pairs of socks I'll probably only come back with 20 but they'll be well distributed to people that need them so it's okay right I don't care yeah 
How about you, Paquette? You were like the big organizer. Did you forget anything while you were actually at home? Yeah, I did. And I'm going to even go probably super, even more soft. Like, cause that, that's truly the most important things is those things that just make you relax. Right. So I had, from the time I finally got to leave the hall to go home to the time that we were leaving, I had 23 minutes to go home, pack and be back for when we were supposed to be leaving. So I packed fast, but, um, Whenever, when I was, I was up in the first one, so these guys were up and we were talking on the phone and they're like, what's some things that I should bring? And I was like, creature comforts, like stupid things like taking two pairs of sunglasses was the greatest thing because you wore them so much that to put a different pair on that fit differently, your ears didn't hurt. Or the only thing I didn't have though, that I really wish I had. And then finally one, we, uh, when we left our first and we got redeployed over to second place, I'm looking at Matt because we were in the same truck together. And I was like, Matt, I need some lip chap in the worst way. I'm like, we need to stop at a gas station. It was my lips working around the helicopters. You're not going to say soft? No. no oh, he can call me soft all he wants. I'll take it. They already told everyone you're in the same truck. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, working around the helicopters and all that ash coming up at you, my lips, I felt like in the sun, were just going to fall off. So I was so happy to have Lip Chap after stopping at that one gas station along the way. So, yeah, I'll take If it's soft, I'll take it. But I'll tell you, I guarantee the next deployment I went on, I guarantee you I had some. <laughs> God. For me, it's different because I ride in my truck usually everywhere I go. And yeah. so, you know, in my truck, I've learned I got sunscreen, you know, lip balm. I, I've got uh, extra socks. I've got like, I probably have 14 hats, right? Depending on how much I screw up, I like to have different hats so I could blame it on different fire departments. But uh, it's uh, different when you're just, you just have one bag and you're going to throw in the fire truck and the fire truck only has what a fire truck has, right? So how about you, Jer? Well, it was, it was my first time, so I wasn't really sure of what to pack. But like, there was there was a list that went out that kind of said, pack a lot of socks because you're going to go through a lot of socks. And I thought I packed a lot, but um, I went through them pretty quick. And thankfully, the first place we stayed actually had uh, laundry on site, so we could... Uh, Which we didn't know if was a joke, too. That was one of those, like, yeah, bring quarters and all this detergent and stuff. We're like, are they messing with us on this? Do we actually bring up all this stuff? Or is- <laughs> I know. Like, we don't, it's firefighters. I know. If I hear it's firefighters, you're like, am yeah. I bringing Tide Pods up or not? Get your wife to teach you how to clean clothes really quick. <laughs> but I, uh, I blew through my socks pretty quick, so um, thankfully the laundry was there. And then second west, there was a pillow. I just never, first couple places had them, but the... The third place we're at didn't really have anything at all, so you're pretty much sleeping on a, a baby mattress. I stayed in a camp that they set up just for us in Rainbow Lake, and it didn't have blankets or pillows or anything. So I was happy that I had a blanket for over the mattress and a blanket to cover me and a pillow and all that stuff. So how about you, Matt? Survivor man. I was not yeah, yeah, comfy. Yeah. I had too much. Oh, sure. No, I no, believe it, Ralph. No, yeah. yeah. He if anything, I had much. too much. But I, I packed the full list. I'd done a deployment. I kind of had a good idea of what to bring. And I, I was comfy. If we were camping on the side of the road, we were good. We had food and stuff. I brought all that. But yeah. We were good. Um, you didn't have any lip chap. I didn't have any lip chap. I had my own, but I wasn't going to share it. No. Yeah. I didn't want yours. <laughs> yeah, this is, you share a truck, not everything. Yeah. yeah. Obviously. <laughs> Just cut it <laughs> Oh, my goodness. That's going to that. We're, we're going to leave that one alone. <laughs> All right. So, so where, where did you end up going, Brent? Let's start with you. You were on the first deployment out. Uh, first one out, we 
Went to Edson, very large fire. Uh, f- the second time I went up, there was 562 kilometers, I think, all the way at perimeter of that fire. And it wasn't it was still quite a ways out of town, but they were worried because of how quickly it was moving. So, yeah, we went into to Edson. We got there at, I want to say, 3 o'clock in the morning. All of us, like, we slept on the floor of the fire hall. The chief there was a beauty, though, couldn't. He, he was just so happy that we were there as fast as we got there. So yeah, we did we did Edson and then and in Edson it was a little bit out, so all of a sudden we were doing ICS sheet after ICS sheet. They right, they had everything broken down into the areas and we were going around and we were trying to determine what we were gonna be saving and what we Everyone's were right? talking about the two oh two and the two fourteen yeah. RR and the two oh three and don't forget to be on the two oh four and you're <laughs> uh, so yeah, we so many four. We did so many walk arounds and and so many things that we were pulling our hair out there because right, no, you're going up to be on deployment. You want it right? You're thinking, oh, I'm gonna go fight fires. I'm gonna go do this. I'm gonna go do that. And for the first couple of days, all we did was pound paperwork, and we got really good at it. And all of a sudden, some rain came in, and the chief up there was really good of going. You know, I'm gonna release these resources I have and we knew that it was probably going to come in later in that day that we were going to get released because it was starting to rain and boom all of a sudden it was you're moving to um, Grand Prairie and I don't think anyone really got to release anything it was just all redeployed and redone so we knew that the town because it was under evacuation order it was going to be lifted we knew what kind of show it was going to be on the highways coming in so we said let's just get out of here right now so we drove in the dark again that night between edson to grand prairie went up through um did he let you drive ever matt or no not once that was the brent paquette show yeah, i was good with that though OEI. i'm a good oh, navigator oh. i was officer <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have a good officer in yeah, the yeah, yeah. i'm happy that you yeah, took exactly. that role. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, we went up to Grand Prairie and then worked up there for quite a few days well, until you guys came up and relieved us. So, yeah, I got to say, we slept in places from on top of trucks, fire hall floors to a senior's lodge that hadn't was just about to open, but no one was in it yet. So PTSD. (laughs) Um, It's your future. We were in uh, the the college up in Grand Prairie because school just got out. So there was place to stay there. That was weird with the plastic sheets and the plastic bed covers and the yeah, plastic it was, everything. It was, uh, it was like, it was what, what's happened in these rooms? <laughs> so, but yeah, and then, you know, definitely did lots of mopping up in, in GP if, and worked with a walk of different people, great people. That, I think, is the biggest thing of it is all these different people that you meet on a deployment. Then also you... Some of those guys got were coming with us, so right, we convoyed together and all went together to the next one. And you work with those guys at the next one. So it uh right, when I went on another deployment, you know, a month later, all of a sudden you're running into right some of those same faces and Oh my god, dude. Right, so. You're talking my my song here. Disaster friends I call them. Yeah, like, some of the best friends I have in the world are just disaster friends. I only see them when the world's on fire but uh, it's still it's still awesome like you reconnect at this high level and during these emotional times and have these great talks acres emergency vehicles a message from our community a person who is risking his or her life to save the lives and properties of others deserves something as reliable as an acres emergency vehicle this is our mission to thank these people with the best gift we can our best effort 
Our commitment includes a firefighter-driven design, manufacturing integrity, personal and professional service. We are here to serve. We guarantee personal and professional service every step of the way. Acres Emergency Vehicles, built for a life of service. Please visit our website at www.acresev.ca. So Jeremy, did you go out with the first wave then? To You were with Strathmore, but where did you guys go? Yeah, I never went to Edson, but um, we uh, I went with Strathmore and then relieved the crew that was in Grand Prairie already. Okay, so we headed straight to Grand Prairie. Um, on the way up, we uh, we were passing Fox Creek when that was on fire. So we saw the plume. We're like, oh, we must be going. We must be going that way. You know, this is, this is gonna be awesome. That that thing's huge. And then we kept driving, kept driving, and completely passed it. And we're like, oh, okay, that happened to me so many times. I'd go to bed and be like, there's no way I wake up in four hours and I'm not going to Peavine rather than Rainbow Lake, or there's no way that I wake up and tomorrow I'm not going to, you know, somewhere different. And every day I'd wake up and they'd be like, no, you're still going there. And you'd have to drive by these massive fires where there's no resources or, you know, people are there and they're terrified and you're just like, okay. And I get it. Like they're just managing misery. Just, it is what it is. Right. But it's tough to drive by the, the chaotic ones. Right. Yeah. yeah, It's not really in our blood as firefighters to drive by a fire like that and just got to hope that the rest of the teams got it, right, somehow. So, yeah, we got to Grand Prairie, did that for a bit, then got re- redeployed to uh, Peace River to be on standby. Ended up eventually in Peavine Settlement, staying in High Prairie. We're going to get to Peavine because that's an interesting story, too. Matt, you're riding captain for uh, Paquette there all over the countryside. So you go. So Edson doing paperwork. That was kind of interesting to see for me because my background with task forces a lot with the search team and done a lot of training with like building assessments and worksite assessments and stuff so all the stuff we did there was what i've done a lot of training on nice the the second time i was up there it was because they actually used all of it so it was amazing so to actually see it and kind of like understand like why they're doing it and what it's for is it was kind it was good to do it i didn't enjoy it if that makes sense. That's weird. A firefighter that didn't like paperwork. Yeah. I can hardly believe weird. it. Weird. But yeah, so um, it was good to kind of move on when we got the chance to Grand Prairie. but And then actually go up there and actually work and use some of that training that we, we had done uh, a month or so prior. It, it was funny because I didn't really think I was going to hook up with you guys. You were going here and you are going there. And I was going to different places, um, East Prairie, Big Lakes County. And, well, we're kind of around Slave Lake, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we need you over in the county of Grand Prairie. And so I shot over there, and I can't remember who got there first, if you guys got there or I oh, got there. But we were there first. Yeah, He was busy with the Army. No, seen that guy no one could tell because you guys moved so slow, he couldn't uh, see if you were moving or not. But uh, You obviously didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I remember coming out to staging because I saw the tender, and uh, I was I had come out there. I was mostly working in the command post, but I had come out there because I was going for a flight. And uh, I, I've been on hundreds and hundreds of flights, and I, I'm not a big fan. And so I show up, and I'm like, yeah, I know that you have to go because it's the best seat in the house, and it's how you know what's going to work and not work, and, and you can put a plan together. So I get there, and I'm kind of like, oh, I have to go on this flight. And some other guy takes off just before me to go waste some airtime. And so I'm waiting around talking to you guys, and then I'm like, okay, I got to go. And I'm treating it like it's this big, crappy job I got to go do. And I could just tell from everyone's faces, like, Man, I wish we were going to go do what he's doing, right? He's going to invite us, right? Yeah, that's it. So you always feel bad. But uh, 
I was be able to get some good pictures and bring them back and kind of show everyone what was going on. And at that time, you don't even know the places. Everyone that's been there for a couple of days knows exactly what they're talking about, knows the location on a map. I take off, I take a bunch of pictures and they're like, well, why didn't you take a picture just beside that? Because that's, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know, right? But uh, we did get to sort through that. And I could tell I was with our own people because as soon as I took off from the helicopter, I was taking pictures of Paquette talking on the phone, leaning on the tender. And phone in one hand and finger up, giving me the salute with the other hand. And I was like, back with my people. <laughs> I was talking, well, I was actually talking on the phone with you guys because, right, we started doing those phone calls in the morning back here to try to bring everybody up to speed because they had everyone back here wanted to help out, wanted information, and they can't be up there. So it was like, okay. We'll fill you guys in on what's going on. This is what we're looking at today. This is what you guys got to bring up. So, yeah, I was doing that while he's going flying around in a helicopter. I would get to swing over usually a couple times a day, though, and see everybody uh, somewhere and, and see what's going on. So, And then it was fun to be over kind of at the incident command post and to hear them talking about different crews, right? There's always different comments about different crews, but uh, the comments about all you guys was always good. So it was nice, kind of a proud moment to know that you're out there slaying it and uh, everybody was happy with what you were doing. I was lucky. I got to get out of there just before the army showed up. And so I uh, worked on some fires with the army before, which I, so I kind of know what to expect. And they were picking out tent sites and getting everything logistically ready. And I was blowing out of Dodge, which was nice, but uh, you guys got to, to work with them a bit. So is it you, Wes, why don't you tell us a little bit about your first days with the army? Yeah. So we were kind of like hitting out some hot spots and stuff and we got reassigned to go with the army. And, uh, that's when the day kind of got a little bit busier and just seeing how those guys can actually work and what they, it entails to them. So for us, you're just like, okay, we're trudging along, checking for all these hot spots and then how they can get into order and the amount of work that those guys do and push us even like everyone we went with is a workhorse out there and working alongside those guys, they were definite workhorses and just kept going, no complaints, no nothing. And just how they can accomplish a lot of, uh, a lot of land in a short amount of time, I guess. I'm sure there was a lot of complaints. None would have been out loud. No, not out loud. But same thing, right? Like, so we had our staging area. They didn't even come near our staging area. They're pretty independent. They had their rations and stuff. That's not to say, and I don't want to get them in trouble, that we snuck them some some food and stuff there. But <laughs> but the uh, the appreciation, as soon as we brought some of that stuff over for their quick little break, they uh, they loved that. So They're very hard workers, right? They come, they're there to do a limited job. They have limited training, and they're just there for a short amount of time, and they're there to crush what they're supposed to do, and they do do that. Um, but it's a big show, right? It's uh, You're bringing 200 people to a site. That's a lot of tents. That's a lot of mess tent. That's a lot of bathrooms, and that's a lot of hassle that's going to come right with that. So logistically speaking, they do take care of it all themselves, but it's a lot of things are going to happen in a short amount of time. And so it's crazy to watch that and, and know that that's coming. For me, again, always happy to get out of Dodge before that happens, but always happy to know that they're going in there to do some work. And it's tough work and it's dirty work and it's work that other people don't want to do, but they do do it. And uh, like you say, don't complain out loud for sure. So Rob, what did you think of all that when you saw it? Those guys are animals. It was unbelievable the amount of work that they could do. It was like we, me and another uh, firefighter got deployed on the tender to go do, just supply them water in their piss packs. And we drive over 
And they're like, yeah, we're going to hump up and down this valley. I think it was 800 feet. Yeah, I think it was, it was 800 feet up and down this valley. And that's all they want to do. They just wanted us to sit there and they wanted they, they were going to come up and they were going to fill their piss packs and they were going to walk it back down. No questions asked. And they were like cut line, like building cut lines in, in the bush. And we're like, do you guys want us to like drop a hundred feet or like, like 800 feet of line down to you so you can just walk to the bottom and walk back up? Cause I think they were about 500 feet down at that point. And they're like, yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we can do that. They're like, really? It's like, yeah, we can just drop line. And, and uh, uh, Josh and I just dropped as much line down off the tender as they possibly can. And they were just so thankful. They're like, Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I'm like, we're not going to make you like walk 800 feet up and 800 feet back down. This must be something similar. And we kind of did the same thing. We may have grabbed a couple fudge bars and stuff and <laughs> walked out. But the communication was so cool because we, we were down there with them. And uh, we they'd stop and we'd be like, hey, guys, have some fudge bars and like that, right? And they, they were as soon as they were done, they were ready to hump it all back up to us. And we're like, no, we'll come down and help you. Like they just wanted, they wanted us to, they were fully prepared for us to sit on that tender and do nothing the whole day. And we're like, no, we're not doing that. But it's just the amount of work that those guys could put in is just unbelievable. Matt, you're sitting over here giggling. No, I don't know what the story is. Brent's got the story. Oh. He starts it. <laughs> he might jog, he might jog my memory. Nice, nice. Wow. Yeah, whose podcast is this? Yeah. <laughs> Yours. <laughs> Definitely Jamie Coots with Growing Up Fire. <laughs> yeah, for us, all of a sudden, Matt and I were we're meeting this guy from Oregon Forestry yeah. in the morning. Mm -hmm. And this guy was a beauty. And all he wanted to see was a moose. Like, he's so excited to be up here helping. And he's like, I want to see a moose. And then, uh, so they they had this big battalion that uh, PPCLI out of Edmonton is who it was. So, And they... We were out doing some stuff with uh, with Calgary. We were paired up with Calgary. Uh, we were their tender for their engine, and all of a sudden, they needed to fill all these, and we're lined up, and we just start filling, and all of a sudden, we get changed. Hey, Chesmere's tender is going to be a standalone unit. They want to pull them out of the task force, and you are now going to be in charge of the PPCLI and we're driving over there and we're looking at each other and we're like, what is wrong with our country? Like out of all the people in our country, Matt, Ralph and myself are the ones that are now in charge of the armed forces. Like there's something seriously wrong with we're this. We're getting taken over by the U.S. right here. And I'm, 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 I'm talking chief and he's just like, just don't lose one. That's all he... Just don't lose one, he says to me. House Mountain. We go out. Uh, the guy from uh, from Oregon, right away, he basically says the same thing to me. He's like, okay, just if you guys were going to get them to work this area, it's, uh, they've had, I don't know, I think he said they, they had a morning of training and just don't lose one. And I was like, what? Is this like a serious thing? <laughs> I've been told multiple times not to lose one. So we start working them, and Matt's out there, and he we did the same thing, right? We're laying lines in because they just work, right? Yeah. And we're like, well, no, let's make yeah, this they were easier. Run all piss backs, and then we ran lines out for them. Yeah, then we started running lines. We knew how hot this was, and then Matt's out there showing them how to, right? Just because we were fortunate, we had to throw him a ninja camera on our truck. Of we're like, you don't need to dig that deep. Like all of a sudden, Matt tells this guy to dig this to bot up, 
he comes back up to the truck to grab some, goes back, and the guy is honestly four feet down already. Hey, he's digging a grave. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't need a foxhole here. Like, <laughs> on the trenches. And then we're working and we're working, and all of a sudden I hear one of them kind of going, oh, I'm starting to get a little hungry. And all of a sudden I was like, look at my watch, it's two something. And then I'm at, and I'm like, have these guys had a break yet? And talks to their boss, and all of a sudden it's like, they come up, no, sir. It's like, you guys haven't had lunch or anything yet? No, sir. And it's like, well, then, like, take a break. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, okay, sir. And it's like, oh, I'm actually, yeah, I'm in charge of you. Yeah. Like, that yeah, much. I'm yeah. sir. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was cool. It's the breakdown. And then we're, Matt and I, of course, are climbing all over their cool Mack truck they have. and But, yeah, we worked with them for a couple days. And um, so that that was interesting. You do have lots of good toys. Right? Lots yeah. of cool stuff. Jeremy, they, these guys talk about working with people from Oregon, the Army. Did you get to work with any interesting folks when you were? All those guys, actually. The Army guys, like Rob said, are just animals. Like, um, like they just give it their all, and their commander will just be like, take a break. And then they all just lay on their backpacks. Some of them close their eyes for, like, I don't know, 15 minutes or something. Micro sleeps, yeah. Yeah, commander's like, all right. Everybody up, and then they're just up like this, right back to it in two seconds. And, and honestly, like that's why they super get lost from time to time is not because they're wandering around the bushes, it's just they work so hard and they get so far away. And then, you know, all of a sudden you look up and you're like, Where exactly are we? And what are we supposed to be doing now? Right. You know, and you got to remember that not all these guys come from the woods or the these could be guys that join the military from cities. You know, this. For some of them, this could be like almost literally the first time they've been out in the into the woods, right? So you do have to be careful and thankful that you didn't lose any of them. That is important. So, all right. So let, let's talk a little bit about uh, kind of what we learned and what we saw. So I think one of the things that I always think of with forest fires, and I've been doing it a long time, so it's not as intimidating anymore. But when you get out there and you've never really been around a forest fire and you start to see a tree candle or some trees torching or... <laughs> Uh, even get to see you said driving by Fox Creek, so you got to actually see the fire on a run. You know, what was the most intimidating thing that you think you saw while you were there? Let's start with Wes. Yeah, I think how vast it is, I guess, would be the big intimidation factor of it, is just seeing how much is burning and what's coming at you and what resources you have. That's definitely a factor that I would definitely put as the number one aspect when going and being deployed on these you go to a house fire and you got like a water cannon and a hand line and you're kicking this thing's butt yeah you're good to go forest fire you're showing up with 20 fire trucks and that's not even close to being a battle well this seemed like and how many limited resources you have everyone was trying to help out at different areas and i know they're trying to get it under control and get people on the important fires but that's it too knowing what help you have too when you show up i think that would be it's confusing. It doesn't matter where you go, right? It doesn't matter if it's 18,000 hectares over in Nova Scotia, right? Which is a big, massive fire for them or 500,000 hectares over in Alberta or what's going on in Kelowna, West Kelowna, what happened in uh, Hawaii, right? It's it's confusing. It's a confusing time. Fire is going to do what it wants to do and go where it wants to go. And so, you know, as that smoke bails in and you start to like, the smoke's here, now where's the fire and how close? And then you start to feel the heat. And if there isn't times and you're scared and you weren't close enough to the fire no question right so how about you matt uh, i'd say that I, I didn't feel like i was ever intimidated just because of where we were at that time but the biggest thing i saw or noticed or kind of took away from it was watching like crossover happen every day you'd be you'd go to like a little hot spot and you'd be working on that and then you'd turn around and you'd see that just kind of flaring up all around you uh, and it was just really kind of interesting to see that happen and watch it happen as the weather would happen. It was almost like you could time it daily when things were going to start flaring up. You'd go out in the morning, there'd be nothing. 
And then around noon, like one o'clock, two o'clock, you'd go, you'd find one little spot. And as you start working, you'd see the whole yard kind of like flaring up all over. But that was really cool to see and be part of. Nice. I got to more than once I was driving through smoke and started to feel the heat through my window and uh, couldn't see the highway very good and started thinking, I don't know if I should be here, <laughs> but uh, we got through and you, you make it work, right? How about you, Jeremy? Well, luckily enough, I, I kind of got to see like both aspects of it um, with the guys I was with. Like the first fire we had, we kind of rolled through already. So we were kind of just hitting hot spots after and like the burn area. And you always hear those tragedies of, of trees falling on people and killing them and stuff is kind of you just have to watch your back in that type of environment but the next one we went to is Peavine and the fire hadn't got there yet and it was it was rolling in on us uh, it was about a kilometer or two away so we we got to set up all the sprinkler systems and kind of see how how that kind of whole command system started from kind of from the bottom. Tucker factor for that was probably how much resources we actually had there for the size of the fire that was coming towards us, which is two trucks, three trucks. That was one. It was, it was one. It was, one one it was the tender. There were two I didn't even notice when you called me. Was there a bucket fire? Uh, there? It was a little bit, yeah. <laughs> one originally. You got, you got the phone call. See what I heard, Wes. Yeah, we were kind of didn't know what to do at that point because we were there was only one way in and one way out from that place and you just had to watch your back there until you live through it right it's not i think movies kind of get us thinking a certain way where it's going to roll in and incinerate everything around us and even now when you look at the maui um fire right you, you see oh everything's just burnt to a crisp and like that happened over hours and hours and hours right all those that didn't just happen in 30 minutes and the whole thing was gone and you know certainly there was buildings that went up faster than others and areas where it was more intense than others but when you see the aftermath the next day the day after and you see all that ash you're like holy man that must have been crazy but when you're there when the sparks come in so first the smoke then the heat then the sparks then the fire it's quite a bit different than tv portrays it so let's go over to rob and to Wes, because you know jeremy might have been there too but but I remember you guys calling me and we had an interesting phone call from Peavine to Rainbow Lake. Yeah. So I guess we can kind of set the stage for that one. So we were in Peace River and you guys got deployed by you guys. You were in tender. It yep. was two firefighters in tender getting deployed to Peavine. Meanwhile, we had a crew still sitting in Peace River and we're like, all right, good luck, boys. Because we were actually, our crew was supposed to go back, fill another department because they were out busy. But then the chief called and said, you know what, the guys are okay, you guys are good. So then we called in and said, okay, we're not going to end up going to this. So you headed out to Peavine, yeah. is all we heard. But there's not much cell reception or anything out there. So No, it was kind of spotty in and out because we had originally been deployed there. We were going to Peace River, and the tender was deployed to Peavine right off the bat. And it was it was crazy because we were driving to Peace River, and we're looking over. I'm like, that is a massive... <laughs> <laughs> so... You're in Peavine. I get this phone call and you're like, Chief, I want to talk. Take us from there, Wes. Hands down, want to talk. So <laughs> we roll into Peavine. We're talking to one person there that's setting up from the Alberta Emergency Management. And he uh, is kind of filling us in on the severity of this fire. Obviously, we can see it. We can see the smoke. We know what we rolled into. He's like, oh, the Beast 2.0. And we're like, the Beast 2.0? like yeah it's about a kilometer 1.2 kilometers i was out there this morning looking at it and he's like i turned my back to it from a second it already burnt across and got me a little bit and we're like holy okay so what other resources do you have coming in he's like i don't you, you guys are it right now this is the resources he's like they have to ask for more or get more in here i'm like so there's 
a tender in here and an engine and we're fighting the beast 2.0 to protect all these houses that are in here. So that was a bit of the plan. We're like, Oh, can you drive us around, take a look at everything? So we're looking for vantage points, um, egress and kind of like doing some fire smart in the area. And they're like, yeah, that's the only way out. And you're like that right there where the fire's coming into the, the only road out of here. Like that's about a kilometer away. Yeah. That'd be your way out. Any other ways? No, no other ways out. All right on. So from that point too, there was no real game plan other than us kind of by us. Chestermere there and Strathmore was there as well too. So they had their engine. We're trying to divide this up from north and south. And well, first of all, deciding if we're going to stay. This is one of those like, are we staying here? Is this in an over our head kind of thing? Like for us to be the ones that are kind of here to help save these houses and stuff. So uh, both myself and a Strathmore captain were just kind of talking and we're like <laughs> looking at everyone's face and the pucker factor of every single member there. Like, hey guys, like, what are we doing? How are we fighting this? Like, what are we doing? I was like, I don't know. We got to call our chiefs, man. Like, we might be in an over our head on this one. They're like, yeah, no reception here. But if you go stand over near that tower and hold on to one side of it, you might get one bar. So here we are, me and another captain over there giving the chiefs a phone call. And uh, that's when you got the good old phone call. I'm like, where are you? I don't know. I'm in Peavine, wherever. Because I didn't know where Peavine was, right? Here. And we we got some. So, and uh, chief was good, though. He kind of talked to us and... uh, was this like, okay, find a find an area to go to if this does come through. And like you mentioned, it's not what happens in the movies or what happens in TV shows or what the media portrays is this coming in. But the way we felt that this was rolling through was it was going to happen any second now. So Yeah, I think it's always those conversations. And those are things you can remember for the next round when you're giving that conversation to somebody to help calm them down, right? So it was, uh, you know, find a safe spot and you're not going to burn to death like TV and you'll you'll figure it out. Also, you know, we got to hook you up with some other good people. Stu come over from Grand Prairie later on in the day and uh, Lauren was around who's, that's his, you know, his, uh, literally his backyard, his yeah, home. And, was a beauty. And so uh, it's nice to always be able to hook you up with some friends, I guess. So Brent, how about you? What did you teach someone or what did you learn from somebody? Oh, I learned a ton. You know, you just getting that first one done and over with is, I would say that if you're, if you don't want to work hard, don't go on one of these (laughs) and that you're going to be exhausted, but it was worth every little bit of it because just the knowledge you're going to take in, the people you're going to meet, the things that you're going to learn, man, I can't even, there's just so much. Like it's, it's kind of mind blowing to it. Like the first time, your first day up there, you're going, oh my gosh, what am I, I'm worried about this, worried about that. You're worrying about everything. Like Wes was just kind of saying, and then the next thing, all of a sudden you're not worried about tons of things. You're like, okay, if this comes in, we're not worried about this building. We're going to go to this, this one here where we can't deal with. And just that calmness of that and understanding that you're teaching that next crew that you're with. And those guys are sitting there going like, oh, okay, great. Right. So I, you listen to the weather. I'm not going to, well, we don't have to really, right. You always have to keep your head up, but I know that winds aren't going to come up to this. We're not overly worried about that. We, humidity's this. It's like, we're good until about two o'clock today and then things could get wild boys. So yeah, it was All right, great. Matt, how about you? Would you teach someone or would you learn? I guess the biggest thing I learned was um, just a different way to work the fire and work work with um, lines. It was mostly hot spots and stuff that we were working on, but it was different because um, my experience before with 
brush fires or bush fires or whatever was running like a bush buggy or an engine from the side. So this was different where you're setting up lines and dragging them in pretty deep, a lot deeper than I thought you'd ever would in, in wildland doing yeah, I think when you're doing foot plus when you're doing stuff. cleanup at the end, it's you're, you're going in a lot farther than when it's like raging right in front of you. Uh, absolutely, right? absolutely, yeah, for the cleanup. But it just kind of gave us gave me a different perspective on it, and it was neat to kind of see how you set up your truck differently for that. Have your hoses ready for a quick deploy, and it was neat to see how far you could actually get in with lines off a tender or off a off an engine without actually having to take the equipment all the way in there. Nice. All right, Jeremy, how about you? I wouldn't say I taught a lot just because it was my first time up there and I was just taking it all in and learning so much while I was up there. Um, just the way everything comes together and how it happens so fast. Like first sight we went to the Grand Prairie when it's just like helicopter pilots are there. Like you have water truck guys. You're just watering down the road for dust. Like the logistics of all the meals that come in. Like I think our favorite part was all the McDonald's breakfast, uh, the wraps that came in every morning. So we just stuff our pockets of those and went headed out to the field. But it's the vast majority of how it all comes together and how many different aspects there are of it. But um, one thing I did learn is if you eat an entire bag of sunflower seeds, your face does get very puffy. <laughs> pictures will be attached later yeah. <laughs> all right guys so thanks for coming tonight thanks for uh, chatting about all this stuff uh, appreciate uh, all the stuff that you've given everybody i think a lot of people are like taking notes right don't forget this don't forget that they got their pillow and lip chap and and uh, they're ready to go so season three episode 18 growing up fire another one in the books thanks everyone Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.